We are in May, which means we are talking about my book, Soul Care. And there was a chapter that I really didn't plan to write. In fact, it wasn't on the original um, outline that I had made. And it was sort of one of the last things, the ninth hour. Um, I had run into several people within two weeks that talked to me about this subject. And I thought, if this doesn't affect soul care, I don't know what does. And so the topic that we're going to talk about today is church, church hurt. And the chapter in the book is called Don't Let Church Hurt, Hurt Your Faith, which is a tall order. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. So first of all, let's just talk about what is church hurt. Church hurt can be anything from having someone, another parishioner in the congregation say or do something to you that just leaves you feeling awful and unloved to having um, a pastor or a called worker or a leader or somebody do something or say something or leave you feeling unloved or unwanted or unheard. It could be as small as, um, you know, forgetting something that was important to you, or it could be as big as uh, not recognizing when you went through a major life trauma, like a miscarriage or something uh, like a job loss or something that was major to you. Maybe you texted the pastor or an elder in the congregation, and for whatever reason, they didn't get back to you. Maybe they got the text at a time when they thought, I really need to devote some time to this. I'm not going to answer it right now because I don't want to just send a trite, um, trifle little comment back. And then, you know, six other things happened and all of a sudden it got pushed to the back burner or something else. I'm not making excuses for anybody here. I'm just saying it something devastating happened that happened at the hands of someone in the church. And it left you so hurt that you don't know where to go or what to do with that. Because very often we expect to be hurt in the world. (laughs) Someone in the world hurts me, it's one thing. But you don't expect the same sort of hurt to come from someone within the church. And For some people, the church hurt that they experienced was maybe being bullied at a a Christian day school when they were in seventh, eighth, or or even third grade, and that has held on their whole life so that they have just fallen away from the church and they won't go back because it feels like the place that broke them. And as I said, I ran into three people in a very short amount of time who had left the church because of something that somebody had done, either a pastor, a called worker, or just people in the congregation, the way they treated them. 
And I thought, we should probably address this because it's happening. And what do we do about it? So first of all, I think the most important thing to recognize, and if you're here and you're listening to me today, you already have, but you may know people who need to hear this message that you can share with them. The first thing to recognize is that God didn't hurt you. People did. And this is nothing new. We live in a super sinful world. We're all sinful. We're all flawed. And for whatever reason, you know, as long as we're in this sinful world and we're struggling to control our sin, for whatever reason, sometimes it's it goes unchecked. And that's a problem because people get hurt. Now, there's there's two different categories here. You have to look at there are sometimes that people hurt us like the pastor, let's just use the pastor as an example in this case. And he might not even know that he hurt us. Let's just say that there was a, you know, the anniversary of our husband's death or our child's death or something. And, and the pastor has always sent a text or sent a note and the day goes by and you don't receive anything. And you think, you know, this is such a, a monumental day in my life or, um, but he might just have, been human and forgotten, and he doesn't even know. Or maybe he said something in passing that was, you know, in his mind, a joke or funny. I I had that happen to, to me once where somebody did something as a practical joke, and I took it very much the wrong way. Very, very much. They found it extremely funny. I found it insulting in a big way. Um, and when it comes from a leader in the church, it, it's kind of rough, but they might not even know that they've done it because in their mind, they're saying something funny or they're doing something funny. And if they're not there to see your reaction, they don't understand that what they did hurt you. So they might not even know. So you've got that. And then you've got the leaders or the people of the church who know that they've hurt you, but they're solid on where they're standing. Like, yep, you know what? This is the way it's going to be. And you may feel hurt or you might not like my approach or what have you, but this is the way it's going to be. And those are two very, very different things. If you're dealing with the first one where they don't even know, first things first, I mean, biblically go and talk to the person because you know, at least give them the benefit of the doubt, at least give them the opportunity to say, wow, I did not anticipate this happening. I really did not mean it like that or whatever, or, you know, I cannot apologize enough. That's a different thing altogether than when you're dealing with someone who's like, this is the way it's going to be. And you're butting heads and you don't see any change there. When you read through the Gospels, and that's where I've been this year, I've committed 2023 to reading the Gospels. I just finished the book of Mark with my teen Bible study group that we've uh, we've gone through the book of Mark super slowly over a Sunday school year, and it has been phenomenal to go that slowly. And in my own personal Bible study, I'm in the book of Matthew. And 
when you read the life of Jesus, he was so in tune to people who were hurt. And that's why I say God didn't hurt you, people did. Jesus stopped for the woman at the well. Now, you don't get through five marriages unscathed. You don't get through one marriage unscathed, honestly. I love my husband. He's amazing. He's a good, godly man. But let me tell you, I mean, what do we do in our marriages, right? We know how to hurt each other better than anybody else because that's the person you're closest to. And a lot of times that's the person who you take things out on and you know how to say and do things that hurt them more than anything. So this woman at the well had been through five marriages and was living with someone outside of her marriage and Jesus stopped for her. And it meant something to her. And you've got the lepers. You know, the lepers were not allowed to live with the rest of the people. They were kept in a camp outside of town. They weren't allowed to go to the temple. You've got the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Again, she would have been ostracized and it would have been, you know, she was unclean. And you've got the the blind men who were calling out to Jesus and the man born blind and, you know, the disciples saying, who sinned? Who sinned? And they're talking right in front of this blind man. And you think, man, that's got to hurt. You know, I mean, there were so many hurt people that Jesus made time for that he he showed that he was there for them in their hurt. I think about Peter after he denied knowing Jesus. And that was one of his best friends. It was the lowest point of his life. And Jesus came back, showed himself to Jesus, to, to Peter on Easter. He reinstated Peter. I think about Thomas, another one of the disciples, who, you know, had gone through the trauma of watching Jesus be crucified and then wasn't in that room when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. And so, you know, when they're all like, no, Jesus is alive. He appeared to us. And he's like, "Mm, see, unless I see it for myself, unless I touch him, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Jesus came back. Jesus came back for the one who was weak. And, you know, oh, Even in the book of Ezekiel, I will search for the lost and bring back the stray. Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 to search for the one. The the prodigal son, you know, just gives us this heart of God the Father towards the person who's lost, straying, hurt, stuck in sin, whatever, which is so different. It's so different than how we do things on on this world. You know, we all think, oh, we're part of the crowd. We're here. We're here on Sunday. And this is, you know, we're worshiping and we're on fire and we're God's people. And and God is there too. But man, he's looking out for that one who's hurt <laughs> and who's bruised and broken because of something or someone in the church. God knows. And he has a heart for people who are hurting and broken. So that's one thing we have to keep in mind. But then we have to keep something else in mind too. And that is that God entrusted the church to very flawed and sinful people. So when I was reviewing the series that Pastor Mike did for our Behind the Series program, it aired in 2022, and it was called Jesus Judges Churches Too. And Pastor Mike preached on the letters to the churches in Revelation. And one of the set things that he said that has just stuck with me 
is that Jesus didn't say in these letters, man, we gave this a go and you guys really screwed it up. So we're just gonna, you know, forget the whole church idea and we'll go to plan B. He didn't say that. He said, do better, get rid of the sin, come back to me, be full into me the way you were when we first started this thing. But he didn't say, hey guys, this was a bad plan. So like, let's quit the corporate worship thing. Let's quit doing that. And um, yeah, you just do this on your own. That's not what he said. Everybody sins and every, you can't get away from that. Whether you're in a marriage, when you go to work, in your neighborhood, and in the church, there's sin everywhere. And as much as we want our churches and our marriages and our schools to be unscathed by sin, that's just not the reality. The reality, as long as we live in this sinful world, we're going to have to deal with this. So how do we go about this? Well, one thing to remember is what God expects of us. And that is that we forgive people their sins. Now, hold on. If you've been hurt, I get it. So I'm right there with you. I'm not condemning you and tell you to do something and put up with how you've been treating. I'm not, I'm not saying that we'll get there. Just what to those of us who have been hurt by the church, what, what does God expect of us? Okay. Let's just go there first. Me first, when it comes to the problem, you first, when it comes to serving others. Okay. So first me, God expects us to forgive people. Every time we pray the Lord's prayer, we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Expectation. Peter came up to Jesus and said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times enough? And Jesus said, Peter, let's just do 70 times seven. In other words, don't keep track. Don't keep score. And then he told the parable of the unmerciful servant. And the point of that parable is this. God forgives us continually. We are constantly sinning against God. He sees every thought, every word, every action, every grumbling, everything that nobody else sees. So we can convince the rest of the world that we are pretty good, but God knows the truth. And he forgives every single one of those sins. In comparison to what God forgives of us, the many, 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 many sins that we commit, He's asking us to forgive the very hurtful, but significantly fewer sins of other people. Read the parable. And so what what God is saying in that parable is, look, I'm willing to overlook and forgive everything that you've done. I just need you to forgive others as well. It's not easy. And I would say, having gone through this, it is a process. And you take steps and you keep moving in the right direction and you'll get there. So you forgive and you think it's over with and then something comes up and you realize, "Mm, yeah, maybe I haven't forgiven at all, but that's okay. You still keep working through it. 
you still work on the process of forgiveness in your heart. Okay. That's, that's one of the things that we have to do. If you've seen this, the TV program, the, the series, The Chosen. Now, I, I just have to have a disclaimer here. I, I don't like everything that I see in The Chosen. I'm not 100% on board. I've had some problems. I've had some issues. So I'm not giving it a total stamp of a true approval. But there have been some really, really good things that have come out of that. And one of the things that really helped me was season three. I think it was episode two. After the people had seen the Sermon on the Mount, how they were changed. Because Jesus had said, look, if you're going to go out and offer your gift, just leave it. Leave it. Don't offer your gift to the Lord. Just go reconcile to your brother who you have problems with and then come back because relationships matter. And so what you saw in episode two of season three on The Chosen was Matthew, who had been a tax collector, going back to his parents and trying to restore that relationship. And as he's apologizing to them, they're apologizing to him. There's plenty of blame, right? There's plenty of sin. <laughs> There's Once we start pointing fingers, it's like, wow, where do we stop? I sin, you sin, we all sin, we're sinners. Um, Andrew apologized to Mary Magdalene. That's a good place for us to start. Just try to forgive them. It's a flawed church. And yet Jesus is all about the church. Try to forgive them try to work on this. So here are four things that I'm going to suggest if you've been hurt by the church. Number one, seek resolution. A lot of us started there, right? You know what the Bible says. So you had a problem with someone and you went and saw them and it didn't go well. In fact, it went very wrong. (laughs) In fact, maybe it went very, very, very wrong. And things were said and things were done, and it's it's been bad ever since. Maybe it's been two years. I'm going to suggest you think about going back to that person who hurt you. It's amazing what God can do with a little bit of time and the life of believers. Now, let me just give you an example from the Bible. Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. They started out doing this great missionary work together. They took John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, and John Mark deserted them. He was young. He he deserted them halfway through. So they went to do their second missionary trip. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark. Paul said, absolutely not. He's not going with me. They split, went their separate ways. And you would think that's the end of the story, but it's not. When you read the Bible, you find out that John Mark became a ministry with partner with the Apostle Paul later on in his life. So, yep, things went very badly for a time. They split apart, and we don't know how much time passed. All we know is that at some point, resolution occurred. And my guess is that was the Lord working through in Paul's heart and in John Mark's heart. So, If three, four, five years have passed and you haven't been in church because of the hurt, and if that pastor or that elder or that called worker is still there, call them up. Ask them to meet for coffee. Ask them to meet in the office with another person. See if you can't talk through it. 
because it's amazing what time will do and what God will do with a little bit of time. Second, if you haven't seen the resolution, so let's just say you do get together with the person and you're still at opposite ends of the spectrum. Jesus told us this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Now, I don't like to think of other Christians as my enemies, but if right now they are, Jesus gives me direction on how to deal with them. Love them and pray for them. So how can you pray for them, especially if they are the ones who have hurt you? Pray for them to come to repentance. Pray for God to put love in your heart for them. Pray that he would help you forgive them completely. I have read The Voice of the Martyrs magazine for years, and I am astonished at the way people in other countries are able to do this. Someone comes in and slaughters their family, and they're saying, I have prayed for God to help me forgive them. In light of that, what I have gone through is so much less. Uh, There's been damage, but not like that. And I think, man, if they can do that, if Jesus on the cross can say, Father, forgive them, these people who, you know, made his ministry miserable, they were constantly following him around, questioning him, not because they wanted to know the answer, they were trying to trap him. The whole Holy Week, when you read through that account in the Gospels, it was just one, you know, the Sadducees came up, then the Pharisees, then a teacher of the law, they were trying to trap, trying to trap. And then they sat beneath him as he was in excruciating pain, hanging on a cross, and they mocked him. And Jesus' response was, Father, forgive them. And so if that was Jesus' response, and if we're told to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, then I guess the thing to do is if if we don't have the resolution, then we pray. And it is amazing, I have found, that when you start praying for people who have hurt you, how your heart changes. It is so hard to hold on to anger and bitterness when you are praying for the person's heart and their soul. When you just want them to be right with God, and when you're praying for them genuinely because you don't want anybody else to be hurt, or um, you just don't want this on their record. You know, all of us will stand before God, and you just want them to be right with God. And when you start praying that, it's amazing how God changes the way that you feel about them. Number three, if this is ongoing, seek help. Bring in other people. If you're over here and and this person is over here, whether it's a leader in the church, a called worker, an elder, whatever, another parishioner, get an objective third party. And I have found, oh man, I have found such solace in talking to wise people who are not part of my church. Um, and I'm not talking about my church, my church, sorry. I'm talking about even just my church body or just in my city, um, that are far removed from what goes on, you know, and and sometimes you just need an objective voice and it's so hard to get that when you are right in the middle of things. And 
So I would just say, get help. So maybe call the pastor that married you or that confirmed you. Or if you have a, a friend who is, uh, you know, pastor's wife, or if you have a friend who is a who is a really phenomenal pastor, and you could just say, hey, I am really struggling here with something. Can I uh, have a phone call with you? Can I, whatever. So one of the things that has really helped me, I wrote about this back in February, my blog for Time of Grace was Jesus Calls the Broken. It was uh, based on Pastor Mike's sermon from The Chosen, actually. And um, I just mentioned that I had been having coffee with a friend and I was telling her some of the things that, you know, I had gone through. And she told me to start writing these things down and really work through them. And so I started what I call a trauma journal, which um, I, I can only do it for a while because it's it can be painful at times. But the reason, the only reason I'm bringing this up is is because of this. As I've written these things down, first of all, as I go back through these things, it's so much worse than I think. I think, how did this happen? How did we get there? So much worse than I think it should have been. It, it, there were so many ways that it could have been solved in different ways, but that's not the point. Even as bad as it was, I see looking back how God always had someone there. He always provided someone in my life at the time who was just that source of encouragement, that source of hope, who was standing alongside of me when it seemed like I was very much alone. And, you know, when you go through the Bible, you see so many situations where people are underneath someone who is irrational, who is not acting godly. And, and these are God's people. Look at King David under King Saul. I mean, King Saul was hunting him. He tried, he threw a spear at him. David was fighting for Israel. He defeated Goliath. You would think the king would like this guy, but he became jealous. And what you don't see David doing is trying to overtake him or knock him off his place. You see him respecting him as the Lord's anointed, even though he wasn't acting very godly at the time. You've got Joseph, who was sold into slavery. He was under Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, you know, accused him of rape because she really wanted to be with him. You have him in all these situations, you know, with his brothers. These were presumably men of God who should not have sold him. They didn't act very godly. You've got Potiphar, then, who we don't expect to act godly, or his wife, but Joseph ends up in prison. And, you know, even there, God was there. And when Joseph looks back on his life. He said to his brothers, look, you know, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good. Like all is forgiven. Joseph is preaching forgiveness to his brothers. You've got Elijah who, you know, was on the run from Ahab, who was a prophet. <laughs> I was just listening to Second Kings this morning as I was getting ready. And, you know, there are so many instances for both Elijah and Elisha where Ahab was just difficult, you know, and here they have to be the prophet under, you know, Ahab of all people. And so the point is that I don't think we have to expect that our lives are going to be easy and that we're going to be in the perfect church and that things are going to be rosy or that type of thing. God gives us examples of people who 
stayed in the fight and stayed in the game even when they were with less than godly people. And so even if we don't have, hopefully we can get that objective help. We can seek the help, but then get the strength that God gives you to survive in the situation. And that may mean removing yourself from the situation for for a time. But number four is the most, you know, one of the most important things that I think we have to think about. So as hurt as we could have been by someone in the church, by a situation in the church, by whatever in the church, okay, by whoever, at some point we have to think to ourselves, who have I hurt? I'm a Christian. Have I hurt people in my family? Have I hurt people at work? Have I hurt people in the church? Because see, as I go about my day, I bear the name of Christ. And is there anybody that I have really hurt who thinks I would never want to be a Christian because I see how she acts? Or you know what she's done? Or she might say this, but behind closed doors, this is what she's really like. And that's really important for us to remember too, that in all of this, it can become very easy to demonize the people who hurt us and only see bad from them. And it will take God's grace in us to not just see the bad. Just know that what Satan wants more than ever, than anything, is to divide the church, to weaken the church, to keep us from the church, because that's where God's people meet. And there's power in corporate worship, in corporately seeking the Lord, in hearing God's word, in receiving the means of grace. And Satan doesn't want that. He would rather stir the pot fuel the hurt, put hatred, then let us get anywhere near forgiveness, restoration, going back. But that's the essence of Christianity. Jesus came and restored our relationship with the Father. He paid what he didn't owe. He went back. He came to us when we had nothing to offer him. Not only nothing to offer him, but we are just going to be a source of pain and discomfort for him. And if Jesus did it, I'm asking you if you might consider going back to that church and finding the people who have missed you and remembering what communion is like and Forgiving the people who have hurt you in ways that you don't want to be hurt, but knowing that while Jesus doesn't condone any of the hurt, he does forgive it. There's a time to leave and there's a time to walk away, but there's also a time to return. There's also a time to say that was in the past and I don't want to stay here forever. 
One of the things that's really important to me is that my kids love the church. I raised them in the church. And I think because I was in ministry, maybe they saw um, and heard more than they should have. And and because of that, there's the, the there's the chance that they could say, but mom, why would I want to be part of this? This person did this or this person did this. Yeah, but that overlooks the hundreds of other people who didn't. And that also overlooks the power of forgiveness and the power of grace that God, oh man, lavishes on us and asks us to do the same. I know this is a huge, huge topic. And hopefully this isn't the end of the conversation. Hopefully this is the beginning of the conversation because it is a huge topic. But just chew on that for a little bit. And then we can talk more. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things.